Well, somehow this one ended up being a little bit longer than I initially was expecting. It's more than likely probably because our conversation with Michael Bodekheim or Celine Oberholzer and Alan Schroeder was so completely engaging. And because in no way, shape, or form did Celine twice, twice nail mic drop comments right there at the end. So you definitely got to stick around for the full thing to get it. But just because the show was a little bit longer in the original edit, I don't want to go too far into detail on a wonderful non sequitur right now. I'm just going to get straight to it, get straight to the point. Less art, more matter. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, wideanglepodium.com. Go there. Check out the full bevy, that is, bevy of shows that are available for you there. The Slow Ride Podcast, Nowhere Fast, The Grodio, Cyclocross Radio. Here's an interesting fact. I met Michael Bodekheimer for the first time in person at Armed Forces back at the beginning of the summer. It's the same place that I met Celine Oberholzer. I met Alan Schroeder for the first time ever in person this weekend at Charm City, coincidentally the same place where I met the host of Nowhere Fast and also of the media pit, Zach Schuster. It is amazing. We've been working together for about a year now, and we are still only now meeting in person for the first time. It is this weird world that we live in, in this COVID pandemic environment where we're not all together all the time, but we definitely are working together. I would say God bless Zoom, but do we really want to bless Zoom? Nah, not really. Remember, more substance, less art, Rob. We are brought to you by Source Endurance, source-e.net. It is the website that can take you to the best endurance coaching company in the United States, in my opinion. Adam Mills, Zach Allison, so many good coaches working for that organization. Source-e.net is their website. You can go there, find out about the full range of services that they offer. And when you find what you were finally looking for, use the promo code Criterium Nation, all one word for $50 off your first month of coaching. Okay, we got a lot of stuff to cover. This added a little bit of time to that, but it's, I promise you, well worth it to talk about the Gears and Guitars Festival, Winston-Salem, Alan Schroeder, Celine Oberholzer, Michael Bodekheimer. They're all here. We're breaking it down, and we're doing that for you right now. Guys, the season is just about over. The big races are now done and dusted. The biggest of them all so far coming up right now in the month of September was Winston-Salem, and it's over. Winston-Salem traditionally falls in earlier times, like May, but I loved having it in September because it gave me something to look forward to. It gave me something to, to think about. We're going to talk a lot about Winston-Salem, but I want to start with Alan because I know Alan is in the Charmed City in Maryland. And I want to see, Alan, how are you enjoying Balmer? Balmer. Yeah, uh, I have been taught the per or the correct pronunciation 
uh, by Taylor Jones, whom I think you guys are familiar with. Uh, but it's been great. Yeah, nice easy drive up here from Winston-Salem. Uh, the roads, once you get out of town, are just, you know, tree-lined and green and beautiful. Um, yeah, it's been good. I'm looking forward to this weekend of not skinny tires. Perfect. And Celine, all the way from Texas. Then we've got Bodie, all the way from New Orleans. Mike, do you got something good for us tonight? No, I don't. Sorry. I use all my... I, well, actually, I didn't use it up on the media pit, um, but I couldn't think of any... You know, I, I was workshopping some Salem witch trial jokes, but none of them were appropriate for this podcast. So They would have worked a lot better for the Ghost of Gloucester than they would have worked for this, probably. <laughs> I do got to give credit to... I think it was Zach Schuster who came up with that it wasn't Rochester Cross. It was Rochette. Chester Cross, I think it was, for Magley Rochette, who who just absolutely dominated her races there. Yeah, I heard that she's the new mayor. <laughs> of Rochester? Her her and, Vin, her and Vincent Bastains are taking over. Uh, a Belgian and a Canadian are now the mayor of Rochester, New York. Much to Curtis White's chagrin. Celine, let's start with you. You are the 2021 Second place finisher in the U25 competition for USA Crits. That is a massive accomplishment. You finished, what, in the top 10, I think it was, on Sunday? Yeah, it was um, top 10 Saturday and Sunday. And that was not an easy race, either of those. No. (laughs) No, not at all. How does it feel to go through this entire season, especially after 2020 being completely off and the, in the tremendous amount of focus that you placed on fitness and bike racing and gravel and road and all of it? You know, how does it feel to come out of this second only to Maggie Cole's Lister, who we know is just superhuman? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It feels pretty amazing. Um I, yeah, I worked really hard all of 2020, um, to build my engine and build some fitness and you like put in the work, but you don't really know where you stack up until you actually do some racing. Um, and I think aside from the races where I was working for teammates or the ones where I got crashed out, I finished in the top 10 of every single USA crit. Um, and so finishing, I think sixth in the overall was pretty insane in my first year on like the pro circuit. So yeah, I'm really proud of myself and the work I put in and just, it was a steep learning curve, but yeah, I think I did my best and that's all I can ask for. (laughs) And that puts you in a great position for next year and the year after that, you know, like, what are you thinking? I know it's super soon still, it's still really hot in Texas, but are you, what are you thinking for next year? I have my eye on some stage races. Um, I think that's the direction I want to be going. I've noticed that I just really like the crits that are the hardest. Um, and I really do like the longer ones, like the 75 minute ones. And I know that's nothing like a a road race or like multiple days of racing, but I think that's, um, that's kind of where I want to go. Careful. You're going to get Bodie and I into a, a, a heated (laughs) Slack channel discussion about the length of races. Mike, you were there in Winston-Salem for both days working, you know, with automatic and doing the work in the documentary. 
is this the perfect course for a filmmaker? I mean, it was one of the best that I've been to this year in terms of just the um, one, the interesting dynamic of having a flyover in a in a cross race. Obviously, I'm sorry. There's, there's, there's a slip uh, at a crit race. In across races, we have lots of flyovers. But the fact that you had a uh, figure eight course, so to speak, um, provided for a lot of really cool angles. And those, you know, the riders come through this like alleyway of two buildings that are, are all glass and the light. The sun is setting sort of in the west and it lines up with the finish line. So you've got all these beautiful, amazing shots shooting towards the finish. And then like on the backside of the course, at night, there was a bridge that had purple lights, and then you had they were the riders were backlit. So it was I found it incredibly fun, um, and because of the figure eight, you were able to move around really easily. Except the one part that was kind of hard was there was that music festival that was happening, um, which if you didn't have a wristband, you couldn't get in to access that one corner of the course or the porta potties. Um, unless you just looked really important and like grabbed a cone and just, you know, told the security guard you were like doing something down there. Um, but beyond that, and there wasn't much going on there unless you like, you know, you wanted to actually get some of the atmosphere of the, of the music festival. I, I thought it was a great course and seen it only on the live stream. So was super excited to be there and it like didn't disappoint. Um, I'm actually really curious to hear what Alan and Celine think about racing it because it seemed like a great course, but I wasn't actually pedaling my bike. The Gears and Guitars Festival featured a lot of great musicians, a lot of great acts. I I know that because Frankie Andreo said it like 3,000 times on Friday night, Grace Potter was there, huge fan. And Sunday, right after the, uh, the, the women's race, because the women's race was run second on Sunday, Fastball was playing. I got to see Fastball play a sun and something event at wolf trap here in dc that had fastball gin blossoms and smash mouth it was like the quintessential 1990s rob kelly playlist it was incredible so like missing this was a huge thing i don't know if i missed the race so much and this is where i pivot to alan the rumor is in the men's race Every lap up the hill or hills, because it's two parted, it's like 700 to 900 watts sustained slug fest, which is why it is not a race course that is for the timid. Alan, tell us about the actual course itself and how it played out, because you raced it not once, but twice that weekend. Yeah, we got to do it twice. Sunday, we were supposed to do the short course, but like a Sunday morning, basically, everybody woke up to an email saying that we were going to rock the long course again. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a great course. Um, really enjoyed the, I'm going to call it a bridge. I think when you're on the road, it's not a flyover, but it's a, a bridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean, there's basically no flat on the course, which actually makes things like pretty interesting and dynamic. Um the downhills are really fast. The turns were tight. Uh, well, except for the very last turn, that was really cool because it was a downhill into it. And it's so wide open that you could go as fast as you wanted, like as fast as you were capable of going and still make the turn. No problem. As far as the climb. Yeah. I think if you want to go back and look at my Strava for that segment, you won't see any 
segments up that that are less than like 600 watts for the whole thing. Um, it was just every lap somebody wanted to, you know, like attack or try and bridge up or just split the group up. So you were out of the saddle going, going full gas pretty much every lap. Now, was it one of those courses where people kind of backed off a little bit on the non uphill part or was it just like we're going even harder on the uphill? Because, you know, like I've been in races and a lot of us have been in races where there's a hill and the hill is the deciding factor. And because it's the deciding factor, everybody kind of like takes the rest of the race off or the rest of the course off, except for when you go up the hill in the men's race in Celine, we're going to come to you next about the women's race. Was it the case that people took the rest of the course off or was it the case that everybody just went hard all the time? <laughs> uh, I mean, some laps it would be like, yeah, we're going to smash it up the climb, but then you immediately take a right hander into like a down up and then the big downhill. But Actually, when you go back and look and see where the winning break gets away, it's because people were riding hard on the downhill into the last corner. And that's kind of where the big gap was established. So, I mean, yeah, with most, with most races, it just kind of depends. But I would say we were riding just hard the whole time. For perspective, just as an interesting side note, normalized 407 watts for the full 77-minute race on Saturday just to give you a little idea of like how hard we were actually riding. And I think most of that came from the climb itself. I'm just going to pause there and think about all the mistakes I've made in life. <laughs> <laughs> I think you gotta be, you gotta be born with those, Rob. I feel like if there's one thing we've been missing, sorry, uh, like for context of how hard these races have actually been this year, like, I don't know, people have power meters, they know what they can do. And like, I would be, I want to see Tom's power numbers, honestly. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those races. He posted 411 normalized. And that was in the break. So if you're wondering what you need to do to race a USA crit crit, go out and just do 411 <laughs> watts for an hour. Normalized. So you got to do like 800. <laughs> yeah, and then zero and 800 and then zero. Celine, how was it in the women's race? Um, well, Saturday and Sunday were two kind of very different stories. Uh, Saturday was probably the most fun race of the year because we, we being Wolfpack just kind of kept the race very fast the entire time. And we for sure felt it on Sunday, but I think everyone felt it Sunday. Yeah. Saturday was definitely like, like you were saying, um, just fast the whole time and then harder on the climb. And then Sunday was a bit bunchy, which is not my favorite kind of race. Well, why was it, Celine, so hard on Saturday? I mean, because there's a pretty cool story there about your teammate, Julie. So can you talk about that? Yeah, totally. So Julie was, I think, seven laps away from reclaiming the lap leader jersey. Pretty much our only goal for the night was to get Julie back in that jersey. And Winston-Salem is not her favorite course. Uh, she generally doesn't like courses that have um, any kind of elevation gain. And to give you an idea, we climbed, I think, 2,500 feet in shortly over an hour, uh, which is kind of insane if you think about it that way. Um, so definitely not a flat course. And Julie had kind of told us that we need to get that those points in the early laps. Unfortunately, somehow a break 
established, like a very dangerous break was established, I think 15 minutes into the race. And we kind of watched it and we were like, it's too early. Uh, There's some hitters in there, but it'll probably just come back. Um, And it didn't. So we all kind of coordinated and we were like, all right, well, time to go to the front and uh, bring this back. And so we all just kind of buried ourselves on the front, which was really fun. I like racing like that. (laughs) Um, And once one of us was gassed, another one would just pop up and help out. And yeah, it was pinned like that for, I'm pretty sure, the next like 30 to 40 minutes until we brought it back. And then Julie finally got her last lap leader point, I think about an hour in. And um, that was, yeah, it was pretty cool to have a race within the race and to, I guess, win that race. Yeah, she for sure earned it. And it was really cool how the crowds got behind us too. And when she finally got it, it was like so loud and it was, I got chills everywhere. It was, it was pretty awesome. (laughs) I was going to ask, was there like a huge relief the moment that you crossed that threshold? Because I mean, Julie's been working at that well, since Tulsa. Yeah. So she had it for a really long time. And then when <laughs> Skylar went off the front for 30 laps at Spartanburg, that kind of kind of crushed us a little bit um, because Julie's been working so hard for that and she really deserves it. All of us gutted ourselves. We were like, this is our goal for the night. In my head, game over for the rest of us. It was like, this is what we're doing. Um, doesn't matter if we don't finish. This is it. There was for sure some pressure on her too to get it. And then when she did, it was, I mean, if you look in the pictures, we're all like smiling and the race is still going on. Well, let's set the stage a little bit because this Winston-Salem was different from Winston-Salem's in the past. Typically, Winston-Salem has the criterium, which will happen on a Friday night or Saturday. And then a day or so later, there's a UCI road race that happens. So you draw a different crowd for that UCI road race. So for example, in 2019, which was the last time that there was a Winston-Salem UCI race, you had 111 women lining up for the crit, which was, I think, on a Saturday night then. This time around, there were 41 women lining up. Of course, apples and oranges, We it's hard to compare because in the 2019 version of it, it was not limited to just D1 teams. So the winner there was Chloe Digert from Show Air 2020 at the time. Peter Mullins finished second, and then Megan Jastrab finished third. So you've got UCI, UCI, UCI. This time around, the top three were Erica Clevenger from DNA Pro Cycling and Maggie Coles Lister in second from DNA, both UCI teams. And then, you know, Caitlin Agnew from Wolfpack, Celine, your teammate. On the men's side, you know, you could make the same argument. There are multiple scrolls that I've got to go through here. There were tw- there were 97 finishers, and then there's an entire screen and a half of DNFs in 2019 and you're looking at guys from skyline or mark pro now of course they became volaire so they're still a d1 team but the top three guys in 2019 steven Bissett, eric young and brandon rim all three of them at the time i think were on uci teams or were on teams that are now uci this year the men's d1 was smaller it was 52 guys again it was d1 So 
you know, looking at that difference. And I think that kind of leads into the discussion of maybe D1 only versus a general open race for all Cat 1s. Alan, would you have liked to have seen 125 guys on that course like there were at Armed Forces, for example? No, (laughs) is the short answer. I would not have. I think what we had was plenty. I mean, you know, maybe... It's fun for the fans to get out there and see 120 guys just all strung out two by two just and like having the group come by you for like a solid 30 seconds. But when it comes to the actual racing, especially on that course, so many of those turns are really narrow. I think having a a field of 50 guys was just about perfect. It allowed you room to move around. It, It allowed like multiple teams to be kind of into action and no one was able to really like shut anybody down or block the road like very successfully. Yeah. And so I think because of that, we saw like much more dynamic racing and racing that was interesting to watch. And part of that comes from it being the last USA crit of the year. And there being some like, you know, other storylines there, but yeah, I think for that course and honestly crits in general, 120 guys, is just a lot. And that's basically what we were racing with the whole first half of the season. And, we saw that every race pretty much played out the same way. Which is interesting. I wasn't planning on making this segue here yet, <laughs> but you brought it up. There was one team that was missing for sure. Well, well, they had one. That didn't have five guys in addition to the one that showed up. And even the one who showed up was not part of their team that was there at Tulsa. Now, Admittedly, Ama and Sec won three days at Tulsa, you know, in the Pro 1-2 category, but not in the Pro 1 category. So we're talking about Legion of Los Angeles. Legion was not there in force either day. Correct. Having them not there, we've talked about how it opens things up in the men's field. It creates a new dynamic You know, for El Paso, I think we called it the Thunderdome. Uh, Two men enter, one man leaves. We know that that's kind of how it played out here with the men's race on Saturday night, where it was a breakaway. It was a sizable breakaway that all of the dynamics played out in that break. Alan, how was that dynamic different this night? When you don't have one team who is making it like their only goal to control what everybody else is doing, it just, you know, opens it up to allow people to do what they want. And, you know, we're all bike racers. We're all aggressive. Like we want, we want to attack. We want to be able to go off the front and put on a show for everybody. Uh, So yeah, not having a team as dominant as Legion there allows us to do that and, just, I guess, make the race a little bit more fun. I mean, I think if you ask anybody, they will have wanted Legion to be there because we do want this to be the best racing in the U.S. We want all of the best teams and all of the best people to be there. So it's, it's kind of this, this hard dynamic to, to work through. But yeah, I think it was a very positive race. Everybody was super excited. Everybody was very aggressive. And even once we saw that break of nine guys get off the front and establish their gap, I mean there was still a lot going on back in the bunch that we were all in. Like there were a lot of bridge attempts, you know, best buddies, I think 
had their hands full trying to control people jumping across and ButcherBox was doing the same. Yeah, so even though there was a break up the road, there was also still a lot of like dynamic racing happening in, in the group itself, which is, yeah, made it a lot of fun. Of course, Ben Wolf doing Ben Wolf things. Yeah, I mean, good Lord. That was, that was an impressive, impressive bridge on his part. I mean, I think I was near the front, maybe even on the front, and he just sort of rolled off. And I checked over my shoulder to see if anybody was going to, you know, like fill that gap. And then that next thing I know, he's just riding away from the group and making it to like bridging, I think what was like a 20, 25 second gap in just a couple laps. Ben Wolf was the last person to join the breakaway. He did it solo. He did it the hard way. But Bodie, the guy who got to the breakaway, who ultimately, I think, end up defining the breakaway was your subject of the documentary, one of them, Tom Gibbons. Tom, and and like, this is how I want to, to play this, unsung people, people who do the work that don't get the mention because they don't get the results and they don't end up in Velo News. But the guy who made Tom getting to the breakaway possible was Dalton Collins. Dalton got on the front of the break and not of the break of the main field after the break had established itself. It was best buddies, butcher box. And I think Sean Berger from CS Velo was up there at that time. Alan, if I recall correctly, sure was, you know, so you've got a sizable break with horsepower. Tom wanted in it. Dalton put him within striking distance. And then when you get somebody who's just a big Belgian boy, you know, he's going to get across. Tell us about Dalton doing the work and putting Tom in a position to do what Tom does exceptionally well. Well, I think, um, and I've talked about this before in the podcast, this is one of the cool things about being with a team all year is seeing that growth. And look, you know, well, Rob, I'll give you credit for the podcast bump. You had Dalton Collins on early in the year. You know, the future is all right. I believe same series with Celine. So, you know, like the, the podcast bump is real. But just to see Dalton, a strong, strong kid and, you know, fairly new at this level and, you know, a lot of trust by Tom. Tom really believed in Dalton and there were some struggles earlier on where just just not having the experience and dealing with the heat was hard for him. But uh, you really saw Dalton come to his own at, uh, at Littleton, just just loved the cold, the rain, just drilling it. So he was there, you know, this, and the squad was down. They only had four starters in that race. Uh, Vivian, who's been guest riding, had a concussion earlier in the season and did like one, one big pull. I think he was in the break with Tom or he was, he was in the break originally and then had to pull out. So there's only two other guys left and it was Dan and Dalton. So, you know, he came through, came through clutch when he was needed. Um, last race of the season, Tom pretty much had the overall wrapped up unless he crashed or got, you know. 30th position and, and Hernandez won. So Tom was confident, but he just, you know, as he said in some posters interviews, like if he could get in the front, then he would stay out of the scrum. He would, he would, he would be safer up there. And at this point it was sort of like, what does he have to lose now? Like if he gets in the break, he's got the overall wrapped up and he can, he can go for the win. I mean, Tom was a guy who used to be, you know, a breakaway guy or just an all around ruler. And he's, he sort of tried to shift it to being more of a bunch sprinter. And that means like relying on other people. And so the pre-race meeting, it was kind of, it was like, Hey, 
let's just, I'm just going to kind of go do my own thing. Don't worry about it. Like I got it, you know, I'll go back to the old Tom. And, you know, it, it was cool to see that Dalton was able to still help him in that way um, that he had kind of wanted to see out of his teammates this year. So it was, it was, it was a great, for me as a storyteller, it was, it was a great like continuation of that thread. It kind of tied it up in a nice bow and it was just, it was, you know, it was good to see people who have goals and then to sort of achieve those goals. So before we get to what ends up happening in the men's race, which is all about the breakaway, let's talk in a little bit more detail about how the women's race kind of plays out. Because the women's race plays out with a solo person. Celine, can you fill us in on the details of everything that leads to Erica Clevenger from DNA getting to be by herself. Yeah. So I guess kind of like what I was describing before there was an early break, um, Wolfpack brought it back. And then pretty much the second that Julie got that lap leader point, it was like open season and, um, Erica countered, and got away and all of us were just kind of like fried at that point so she timed it pretty perfect and she established a monster gap like real fast um so she pretty much made it impossible for anyone to bridge up to her so that was absolutely incredible like she's got i don't know legs for days that was pretty insane to see and from that point on the rest of dna was kind of helping Maggie out and going into the last lap, it was pretty much Maggie and Rachel and Caitlin was up there and it was a field sprint. And when you have a field sprint, sans Olivia Ray, sans Harriet Owen, sans Skylar Schneider, sans Kendall Ryan, Maggie stands supreme. I mean, like she stands with all of those people. And so going into that, field sprint what was kind of dn like kind of wolfpack excuse me your team's plan because caitlin has been racing incredibly well since she started joining you guys and you obviously have shown that you've got a large amount of power when it comes down to the pointy end of the race there at the end so what was your guys's plan well, so we had done so much work um, during the race. In my mind, I didn't think I had anything left. And uh, Caitlin did a ton of work too. But ultimately, I found Caitlin's wheel at the end. And I always just like to finish strong or as strong as I possibly can. So yeah, it was Maggie, Rachel, I found Caitlin and I was like, oh boy, I'm up here. <laughs> um, going through the last corner. And then I really like a long, slightly uphill sprint. And, um, I had, I don't even know, like Alan was saying that corner, you can just really rip it. It's so wide and you come down into it and then it kicks up. So you just have so much momentum going into the start of that. Unfortunately, Rachel came into my line (laughs) and hit a hole and came backwards into my front wheel. So I had to smash all my brakes because it was either right into Rachel's wheel or the barricade. So I chose the brakes and Maggie's like pretty much already done sprinting at this point and Caitlin's right there but somehow managed to get fifth that day so pretty stoked on that in spite of the loss of momentum and then I think Butcher Box was up there too yeah my question was going to be which Rachel are we talking about because there's Rachel Canning from Levine who ends up 11th on the day Rachel Langdon from Instafund who ends up seventh and wins the overall and then there's Rachel Plessing from Butcher Box, who finishes fourth that day. 
So there's there's apparently too many Rachels and too many pages in your field. It was Langdon. <laughs> yeah, but she kept it upright and finished top 10. So kudos to her for that. And yeah, also major shout out to her for uh, for taking the overall in spite of a pretty crazy season. Yeah, it's a hard season to to it's well, I mean, you know, Bodie, you know this because you've been you've been with Tom. It's a long season. Especially as compressed as it is this year, it is a really long season. How has he been doing? Right. So it's it's a it's a short season on the calendar, but it it was made incredibly longer by the amount of racing um that was happening. Um I, I, I think Tom I think Tom's doing good. I think he I think he kind of struggled there a bit in little in the middle part, you know. I, I think he just felt a lot of pressure. He's he's gonna be moving soon, you know. He's just, you know, wanting to keep the overall. I mean, I think I think there was a lot of pressure on him to to keep the overall and and you know, there's that's a goal he started in the beginning and, and to sort of you know, it's crit racing, like you can crash. Like something like something happens and you're done. You crash and you're out, no no fault of your own. And that sort of pressure was on his head, but I think that you know it it's it sort of worked out, and he got through it. Um, and I know that he was very relieved, and in his USA crits like post interview with uh, Connor, he I think he mentioned that he wanted he couldn't wait to go drink beer like three or four times. Um, so you know he was excited to get through that. So before Tom had the opportunity to hit the the local public houses in in Winston Salem. He had to come through kind of a gauntlet of challenges in that breakaway that he became a part of. So ultimately, that breakaway consisted of, you know, two guys from ButcherBox in Oliver Flout and Connor Saley, three guys from Best Buddies in Danny Estevez, the man who changed nothing, and Michael Hernandez and Ben Wolf, Sean Berger, and then the guy who ultimately ends up winning it Ama Ensek from Legion of Los Angeles. I want to spend a few seconds talking about Connor Saley because what he did at Winston-Salem was an effort to bookend what he did at Crystal City. You know, he realized in Crystal City that the breakaway was too large and that he needed to split it up to increase the speed. Unfortunately, here at Winston-Salem, nobody went with him. At Crystal City, three dudes came with him or four dudes came with him and they were able to roll it. Here he was solo and that's got to be a hard course, Alan, to be solo on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just looking, you know, how packed dynamics work, uh, he's going to have to be riding very hard on all the climbs and then also on the descents where everybody else is going to be able to, you know, just coast and be gaining ground on him. Um, Gaining ground on him. And... To have him being dragged back by the likes of Michael Hernandez and Ben Wolf, two guys who are not known for riding slow, and for them to, you know, he had 26, I think, seconds at the most. You know, he was pumping the crowd up when he was going up the hill. You know, he was he was trying to, to get the volume up, so he was really excited about it. It's interesting that Best Buddies would have tried to bring him back. You know, it was clear that the overall was out because Gibbons had made it there. You know, Mike could win, Gibbons could get eighth, and it wouldn't have mattered. 
you know, Bodie, what do you think was the game plan for the best buddies guys? Do you think that they were racing for Estevez or you think they were just racing because they love to race? I, you know, on the track record of Estevez, you know, he's won two of the USA crits racers. He sort of had some issues earlier in the season with late race mechanicals. I don't know. I actually don't know their game plan, but you know, Hernandez is in the young riders Jersey. He's close to Tom. I think Hernandez, Hernandez is, you know, he's kind of a breakaway guy. He wants to ride hard. He doesn't, you know, I think he was in a perfect situation that race. That's what he wants to do. I do. I do know that Tom was perfectly fine with Connor winning. He, that was okay to him. Like that suited his needs. I mean, Tom wants to win a race. He hasn't won a singles USA crits race, but like he, you know, he sort of got to that point in the race and like, if he, if he wins, that's fine. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, best buddies definitely has something to prove. I guess Estevez did beat Legion at Spartanburg, but it was sort of like they were battling for that sort of like second best team. Um, they ended up winning the team overall, but you know, Legion wasn't there for the, you know, that last race. So I think, they still want to prove they've got all the, you know, all the stars, you know, on their team or they've gathered a group of, you know, you know, veterans and, you know, really strong men and, and they want to get to that top step. So I think, yeah, I think they were, they were racing to win and they were going to do what it takes. And unfortunately, um, they, I don't know. I think people maybe, uh, weren't, uh, betting on Ama enough. Well, how do you overlook him in a breakaway? You know, like, You've got somebody who has proven time and again. It's not like his results have been hidden. I mean, he's no. proven time and again that he's a winner. So in the team meeting beforehand, it was sort of just, they were automatic was talking about who was there, what they're going to do, you know, and sort of, you know, Legion's only got one guy and it, like it's it's going to be okay. Like that's not going to be a big factor. And I will give a props to Dan Swan, you know, US uh, rookie. He was like, I don't know, man. Watch out for Ama. He put it out there. And I'm, as a filmmaker, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great afterwards because I'm like, oh, I had that moment. And now I'm like, wait, did I record that moment in the meeting? So I'm hoping that'll be in the the, the video or Dan Swan calls it um, in the pre-race meeting. But yeah, I mean, Tom said like, Tom was just, he's like, there's nothing I could do against that kid. I mean, he has a wicked just nasty kick, just the ability to just boom, go. And he, and he showed it and, uh, there is huge flex, huge flex for Legion team. I think anybody who's raced with Ama can like back up that statement that his snap, uh, when he gets out of the saddle is unmatched by anybody in the Peloton, at least the U S Peloton, including his teammates. His coach will tell you that as well, that he is in a sprint going to be better than Corey. And, you know, we all know that Corey Williams is one of the best domestic sprinters ever. And the beauty is, is that Tom Gibbons puts Ama in a position where Ama can do what very few other people can do. So, you know, the breakaway eventually catches Connor Saley with three to go. It was heartbreaking for a breakaway rider to watch it happen because you knew it was going to happen. And it did. It's like a shipwreck. You just watch it slowly, slowly happening. And you're praying that it's not going to, but it does. Hernandez being the savvy, intelligent bike racer that he is launches with three to go. And, you know, like there's nobody in that breakaway who cares to match him right there. 
But then there's Tom Gibbons, who just clearly said to himself, I don't want this to happen this way on my watch. And I'm going to bring it back. And nobody, Sean Berger, Oliver Flout, Danny Estevez, could match that, but Ama could. Post-race, Bodie, what does Tom say about that last couple of hundreds of meters where Ama's on his wheel and there's just nothing that he can do about it? I think Tom has shown that he can go from a long distance. You look at the Spartanburg video I post, you look at Salt Lake. He, he The last 800 meters, he's just putting out ridiculous watts. And I think he knew that if he does that move, like if Ama gets on his wheel, then Ama's going to come around. But if he doesn't, then he's going to take it. So he, you know, Hernandez is in sight. Hernandez is the guy who's gunning for his spot. You might as well track him down. And, and if Ama comes around you, then at least he tried. And I think that was kind of his attitude. You saw him coming across the finish line with Ama kind of raising his hand. Yeah, I think, I think, I think he was... He was he was happy with that race. I think he kind of felt like a little bit of old Tom Gibbons and um, like he tried. And that that's that's where he's that's like that's how his power profile works. And that's how he was going to do it. That's how he's at least going to get second, which he's really good at. Yeah. I mean, what other choice did he have besides trying to essentially drop the whole field up that climb the last time? Because if he doesn't do that, I mean, Ben Wolf obviously isn't going to pull anything back. And I think. Honestly, everybody else was probably a bit too cracked at that point to go after um, Hernandez. So it was really watch Hernandez right away or, yeah, make that move. Hope that his, you know, 1300 watts for 18 seconds or whatever it was, was enough to gap Ama. And, you know, it just wasn't. So (laughs) he did everything he could. He did, I think, what was the right move. but yeah, it's funny to see kind of other people's opinions of what he was doing afterward. There's a lot of opinions <laughs> that are floating out there around here about what Tom was doing there at the end. I think, and I think that Mike and everybody else who's a part of this conversation can say for 100% certainty, Tom was trying to win. That was the end of it all. He was trying to win. Ama was just better that day. I agree. I wanted to see him win. God, I wanted to see him win. That would have been a filmmaker's dream right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was still at the finish line filming, so I would have got, yeah. I do want to make sure that we include two additional people because they were part of the breakaway, but I have not mentioned them yet. Amino Rip, this is the first time we've mentioned them at all this season. Unfortunately, Owen shot who is the 41-year-old Owen Schott. He's in my field at Masters Nationals. That's why I know who he is. You know, ended up finishing seventh. He was part of that breakaway. He's incredible. Love racing with Owen. In fourth place, and this is kind of personal to me, Cormac Daly from Good Guys Racing, NYC. The last time I saw Cormac was in the ER in Tulsa after he had broken his collarbone. So he's back, he's healed, he's into his racing again. It's so good to see Cormac back. We're going to get him on the show so he can talk in his beautiful Irish brogue about bike racing in Central Park. Let us move on to Sunday and talk about the two races on Sunday. Celine, I, I warned you in the green room 
that you're going to get the CS Velo question for Wolfpack ATX. I want to set the stage here. Same course on Sunday as on Saturday. A breakaway goes relatively early in the women's race. It has Liza Rochetta from DNA, Maggie Coles Lister, your teammate Melanie Wong, Andrea Boutin, and then a rider from Colavita whose name suddenly escapes me, but I will think of Brittany Parfrey. It is Brittany, Brittany Parfrey. So those yeah. five women get up the road. I saw you on the TV coverage sitting on the front, not necessarily soft pedaling, but not racing particularly hard. What was the plan once those five women got up the road? We were happy with Melanie in the break. Uh, she's got a pretty good kick and she's very clever. So we knew we trusted her ability to get a good result. Um, so from then on, it was just kind of patrolling the front. And honestly, the front was the safest that day. So even if I had to be in the wind, I was okay with that because to be honest, the entire weekend I was getting some El Paso flashbacks. Um, and in my head, I was like, I'd rather be more gassed at the finish than be on the ground. So I put myself on the front a few times and um, kind of just, yeah, tried to keep it safe. Let me ask the question again, just in a slightly more leading fashion, as far as you've got five women up the road. You've got four teams represented. You have Liza Rochetta, who is a phenomenal long-distance lead-out-type rider, and her teammate Maggie Coles-Lister, who is the best sprinter in that field. She had proven that the night before. Were you aiming with Melanie in that field to win, or were you guys comfortable with Maggie winning? Because... You've got this situation where you're set up that one team has a distinct advantage in that breakaway, and that was DNA. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Maggie would win whether she was in the break or not. Um, so in a perfect world, we would have established a breakaway that Maggie was not in, um, but that did not happen. And ultimately, the break got over a one-minute gap very rapidly, and we were all fried from the day before. So it just was what it was. We weren't going to be able to bring that back. I mean, there there is a world in which um, I think Melanie might have been able to like outwit DNA. But yeah, two against one, it's a, it's a big ask. Um, and ultimately, we're just happy to be on the podium. Melanie does, to her credit, end up in third place behind Andrea Boutin from... ButcherBox and Maggie Coles-Lister from DNA. I mean, it did play out as one would imagine. Almost storybook for Liza being her last professional bike race. She's transitioning over to just doing triathlons. She jumped with three laps to go. She got dragged back, but she jumped again with one lap to go. And you could tell that she was just running out of energy but she ran out of energy at the exact right time because it turned from being her off the front to her being a lead out person for Maggie. 
and going down that final downhill into the right-hand corner that would ultimately lead into the finishing straight. And then once Maggie launches, it's it's game over for her. After all is said and done, you know, was Melanie happy with the result? Were you guys with Wolfpack happy with that result? Yeah, absolutely. Especially Melanie has not had the easiest year. Um, so I think it was especially rewarding that she's come back from just a lot of crashes and the psychological damages that that can do. Um, and to see her close out the year with a really strong result um, was pretty special. So we were absolutely, I would say, thrilled with that result. Not to mention her win solo breakaway style at Harlem, which is not a race that you're supposed to win solo breakaway style ever because it's flat four corner just fast. So I got to give her credit for that. And, you know, just also to say personally, congrats to Liza for concluding a historic career. Let's switch over to the men's race because some of the dudes who were there on Saturday night we're no longer there on Sunday. Some of the guys who were there on Saturday night in the Cat 1 race were now here in this race, including Wolfgang Brandle, the movie star rider for three seasons who is now racing for Skyline. I, I got an opportunity, believe it or not, to chat with him after a local crit here in Washington, D.C., that he was part of a breakaway that lapped the field that he ended up going on to win. Just talking about, you know, his experiences with Movistar and coming from Munich and now living in Reading and just like absolutely love the guy. He's great. He's hilarious in that German sense of being hilarious. Alan, Lining up two days in a row, same course, not a lot of rest. How much energy was legitimately left in those legs? <laughs> uh, I think everybody was kind of on the same page of not much. Um, the vibes, if you will, standing in the staging area before we lined up was everybody was just quiet. No one was really like chatty like we usually are. Um, there wasn't a, a ton of excitement, but you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all still racers. And once they blow that whistle, um, yeah, everything changes. How did it change? So like, what was, what was the way that it played out? Because you ended up racing before the women, which is unusual, but also super cool. So you guys were done and you had an opportunity to, to sit back and cheer on your, your female compatriots and colleagues who you normally are watching you after they're done. You know, how did that whole race go for you? Uh, it honestly played out very similar to Saturday's race, I think. Um, I think after we did see a breakaway, get off the front and roll to the finish, everybody pretty much knew that Sunday was going to be the same. So the first 15 to 20 minutes of that race was just everybody like throwing haymakers at each other, uh, which is great. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that whole race is a blur. <laughs> Uh, eventually, yeah, what we saw after, I don't know how long it was, maybe 10 or 15 laps, um, a group of four or five guys were, were able to sneak off the front. Uh, Brandel was one of them. We had our guy Taylor in there. Um, there were two best buddies guys that managed to make the break. 
And after that happened, like there was a noticeable kind of drop in, in the bunch where uh, we all kind of accepted our fate and that like nobody was going to manage to bridge up today. So we were just kind of racing, I don't know, for the end of the race, I guess. So we're going to talk more in detail next week with Spencer Movenzade, who is the ultimate winner of this race. You know, he, he, you know, like he did what Spencer does really well, which is just ride super hard. And I'm really excited to present his interview. The results are Ruben Capignone from Best Buddies in third, Wolfgang Brandel from UCI team Skyline in second, and Spencer Movenzade in first. I want to scroll all the way, with the exception of Wolfgang, I want to scroll all the way down the results list to somebody who you, Alan, brought to my attention this very week, and that is Drew Christopher from Primal Audi Denver. Drew is the first person, well, no, I take that back, there's Clever Martinez, but I was going to say Drew was the first person in 20th place who was not a part of the D1 race the night before. Drew raced the Masters race. But I was he wrong. He raced both. Oh, he raced. Is that in, that? That's just insanity. Yeah, he raced four races this weekend. Last weekend. He won the Masters race on Sunday. Somebody really likes Winston-Salem. He said he raced something like 100 miles that weekend. That is absolutely insane. So I think the Masters, did the Masters 35 race with the 45 and 55 or not? No idea. Probably asking the wrong people because John Hamblin from Project Echelon ended up winning the 45 plus. Drew won the 35 plus. So I, I, I would be very curious to know how that all played out. But, you know, like, okay, let's go back to the, the premise of the question was D1 teams. So if you look through the pro one, two field on Sunday, with the exception of Wolfgang in second place, the first non D one team racer was in 21st with Christopher Ames. I don't know if he was a D one team racer or not, because his team is listed as unknown racing. But if you really want to dig down deep and have somebody confirmed, there's a Furman racer, David Gabrick in 25th place. Was this race more freeing because it was not USA crits because there wasn't that issue of points and there wasn't that issue of making sure that, you know, the young rider Jersey was protected or the lap leader Jersey was protected. Was this a freer opportunity for you? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I want to say a little bit. Yes. But at the same time, like we ended up riding faster on Sunday than we did on Saturday. So by that standard, the answer would be no. But I think people were a little bit more complacent maybe once the break got away. Um, and especially in those last kind of eight laps, everybody was pretty content with, you know, just getting around the course and then we're going we're gonna to give it a go on those last five laps. And I think... Because it was, you know, based everybody's like last crit of the season. Um, we were just happy to, you know, wait for those last five laps, give it everything that we had left and, and see what happens, basically. So I guess, Rob, so I mean, I, I guess what you're getting, are you getting at something here? And are you getting at is a D1 race only? Is that a bad thing for the racing? Is it 
like, I guess, is that what you're asking, trying to get to? Like, how do we think about D1 only races? Well, that is the that is the movement. That is the movement that is USA Crits. When Scott Morris was on here last year talking about it, he stated that that is the goal for the organization to build towards a league model. And to do a league model, you have to have only the teams that are buying into the league racing the races. There's been a lot of discussion on bike Twitter this week about the the pros and cons of D1 only races. Because like I said, Winston-Salem had 125 dudes the last time it was run. And those 125 people were from Elevate or Project Echelon or from Avolo, teams that weren't represented here this year. On the women's side, you know, there was Rock Salt, Team 2020. Like, there were a lot of other teams that were there. USA Crits is obviously elite of elite, but when you add in those other teams, you are adding in additional horsepower and additional firepower. But you're taking away from the overarching storyline that is the Universal League. So there's a lot of pros, cons, I can see what you're saying, but I can also see what they're saying type discussion. I know, Bodie, you've got opinions. You've shared them with me on the Slack channel. I know. I need to, let's let's put it on the record. No, I, I just wanted to point out, though, is that you did have races that were uh, like Tulsa Tough, USA Crits Day 1 had other teams, um, but I'm pretty sure every winner of a USA Crits race was a usa crits team so tulsa tough you had all the teams there the firepower who won legion right both sides i I guess to say that the d if you have a d1 only race you know you're not inviting the strongest riders i would kind of disagree with that um it's great to see ovolo there you know at salt lake at winston Salem. i mean uh at um, Tulsa, you know, armed forces, they're going to throw haymakers. They're just going to attack all day long. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the the D1 teams won and, and the strongest teams were D1. Now, is that going to happen next year? I don't, I don't know. But like, would Boise have been as interesting a race on the men's side had you not had Cade Bickmore, Scott McGill from Avolo, and the Humble Hammer, George Simpson from Project Echelon. And I will get yelled at if I don't point out the hardest race of them all this year, Clarendon, Dr. Stephen Vogel. That name and the effort that he put in was just excitement. The D1 teams broke in huge fashion at Clarendon. So was Project Echelon was not a USA Crits team, correct? It was not. They were not. And that wasn't a USA Crits race. Um, Steven Vogel, fantastic race. Missed him the rest of the year. Um, would have liked to see him at other races because uh, obviously he showed what a you know an amazing competitor he was. Regarding Boise, like so Boise, yeah, Evola was attacking and the Humble Hammer were attacking, but were those moves? It didn't seem like those moves were actually going anywhere. And then when Legion wanted to make the race hard at seven or eight laps to go, they just shattered the entire field. So like in my mind, it was still the same Legion format. 
that we had the other races. So if Avolo hadn't been there or Project Echelon, we still would have had the same result. I mean, there is an easy solution to all of this as well. They just sign up to be D1 teams. I mean, it's up to them what races they come to, but, you know, if you put out that little bit of cash and sign up, be a D1 team, pick and choose, race whatever you want. And if they're strong enough, they'll win enough prize money to, like, repay how much it costs to be a D1 team. How much does it cost to be a D1 team? Is it 3500 I think? Yeah, that sounds right, but I can't remember the actual figure right off the top of my head. You look at non-USA crits races like Tour of America's Dairyland or Intelligentsia, you know, those were a smattering of everybody winning those, not just D1 teams. It's hard to talk this year on the men's side because Legion has been so dominating. And then if you go to the women's side, Legion has been even more dominating with Skylar Schneider. So, you know, like it's a little... I don't know. I don't want to say like misleading, but it's been so legion accomplishment heavy that when you see somebody like Brandon Fury from Project Echelon winning at South, not at South Chicago, but at the Goose Island race at Intelligentsia from a breakaway that had two legion riders in it, but also had the D3 DCC rider. I, I can never remember the Destroy Cycling team out of New York, you know, like seeing him in that race and then seeing Lux riders like Michaela McPherson or Kaya Schmidt perform so well, but not being a D1 team. I just, and I think this is a point that Alan made, and this is kind of like the, the, the kumbaya of it all. We all want to see the best riders competing against the best riders to figure out who the best racer is. That's why pro crit champs was so amazing. It was because it was, it was everybody just, you know, you, you bring it font cycling had nine women in the race and they were just throwing themselves off the front every 30 seconds. Regrettably, Celine Oberholzer isn't allowed to race that race because she's Swiss and it's something that I keep being reminded of. But one day, Celine will get you into that race. You know, this is not a, a debate which I think can ever really be answered, you know, in the confines of, of this particular podcast. But like, I want to see awesome bike racing. And we got to see awesome bike racing at Winston-Salem in both the men's and the women's field. I just wonder, would it have been awesome-er if Peter Mullins was in it? You know, like bring the Aussies in, you know, like rock salt, you know? I don't know. Well, I in terms of Winston-Salem, I think D1 was, well, in some ways, Saturday that was like a restriction. But for Sunday it was not a D1 restriction. It was a COVID and travel restriction. So we would have had that with the international challenge, but there was no um, opportunity for international racers to come. So that kind of eliminates that one. And I kind of also feel like this, it could be an entire episode in and of itself. (laughs) Um, Yeah, We could go back and forth on this for hours. Yeah. Yeah, but just one one little thought to throw out there from a ob- completely objective standpoint regarding the women's racing. The uh, D1 only races are the only two races the entire season that were crash-free. So I will just say that. Ooh, I'm drunk.
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Normally we would just end the podcast right there. Just like silence. <laughs> That's a, that is a Tim Hayes level silence mic drop. I'm, I'm very impressed, Celine. So, <laughs> so just in terms of the D one, uh, discussion and, and, and a league, we do have Legion putting on a race at the end of October in the lion's den. And from what I heard, it is, it's going to be organized in sort of a league fashion. And I think that is Legion's goal is to make the criterium racing league. I, I don't, I'm getting secondhand information. I'm not on the emails, but I mean, Celine and maybe Alan, you guys know, but I, I think that is something that folks want to do because it brings us back to the ball sports we have in America, where we have the teams we can root for all the time and they were the same color and they had the same number. So it, it, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Um, and Rob, I do enjoy it when all the other, every, all, I want all the teams to be there all the time. I agree with you on that one. And I want to see what happens in Sacramento on October 30th, because all I'm hearing right now are rumors and I want reality. Like there are so many rumors that it's just like, okay, please just tell me the deal. Give me the straight gouge. I just want to know. I don't know, Rob. I feel like you kind of like the rumors. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Call. Yep. Another mic drop. Wow. Wow. Celine is on fire tonight in Fuego in, in Texas. It's all the espresso. Torchies, baby. Alan, Charm City this weekend. Super excited about it. Celine, you're going to be living the high life on the San Marco River. Bodie, when are we going to see the documentary? Well, I will will say this. I had a major breakthrough last night at at midnight, um, and I I plotted out. I think it's going to be six episodes. I looked at all my footage, made my log notes. I think we're going to do six episodes. When they're coming out, I don't know. Um, sooner, sooner than later. I, I, I can't keep doing this. Hype videos for 2022. Right? There is that. I am so... And you know, maybe I'll put it out to the listeners. Do you want to watch crit videos in November? Or do you want to watch crit videos in February, March? February, March. I'm going to go with February and March because in November, we've got all that incredible cyclocross TV coverage. Right that Zach and Bill are putting out. I don't think we need any more. So any listeners want to chime in, let me know. I, you know, I'm, I love the feedback when people want to watch crit stuff about 2020. I, I kind of am leaning towards the hype for the next season, but I'm interested if anybody wants to email Rob and, and tell them when they want to watch it. That's criteriumnation at gmail.com or you can drop into Bodie's DMs at Land Softly. That's, that's, where, that's where he lives. At Yeah You Ride as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Never forget that one. Guys, thank you so much for helping break down Winston-Salem. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We're a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com to find out everything you want to know about the full bevy of shows available there. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, with Celine Oberholzer, Alan Schroeder, and Michael Bodigheimer helping us break everything down. 
We're going to be off for the next three weeks. I've got to go and do the day job thing, go to trial in Northern Florida. But we will be back on November 3 for an episode with Spencer Movenzade of ButcherBox. And we've got a full lineup of shows that carries us through to right around the holidays. So join us here again next time for more stories from our Criterium Nation.